And as I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I want to analyze a little more from a first century perspective, especially out of a Acts chapter 2 perspective, the Lord's Supper. I'll explain as I go along. We will read Acts chapter 2. We will read a little bit out of Luke chapter 22. And we will also read John 13. And that's where I'll stop. But let's read in Acts 2, starting in verse 42 to 47. Luke says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing to proceeds to all as any had needed. And day by day attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Would you turn to Luke, please? Chapter 22. Starting in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so much with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who reclines at a table or the one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at a table, but I am among you as one who serves. You also are those who have stayed with me in my triumph. That's enough. Let's go over to John 13. Starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward, could everybody say afterward? afterward? You will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also, just as I, you should do to each other, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who is sent. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very, very much for all the revelation of Scripture in the life of Christ that sets the record straight. We thank you, O God, that we have a wonderful, powerful Savior. And we have a perfect example of servanthood, Father God. We thank you, God, that we do not operate as the world operates and lord over your people, God, the truth. But we come to serve one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is this, that we should carry each other's burdens. God, teach us the genuineness of true community. Teach us the genuineness of being one body with many members. Teach us the genuineness of unity out of diversity. Teach us the genuineness of the Lord's table. God, I pray that you breathe upon this service today, upon this preaching, upon this sermon, upon all our hearts here, Father God, that for once, if not for the first time in our life, we truly do grasp the meaning of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. As I spoke to you earlier, as we've been going through the book of Acts, and we see in chapter 2 the Spirit of God is poured out, and we see birth a church. We see people coming from all sorts of backgrounds and diversities, and they're coming together. They're all saved. They have a common denominator. They heard a message, and they responded, what must I do to be They recognize that they have sinned against God. They recognize that religion did not make them right with God. Though they were devout Jews, there was something more they needed in their life. The law pointed to their sin, not to being saved. And and they recognize this, and they hear the cutting message of Peter preaching the first uh, evangelistic message. And their hearts are cut to the quick. And they cry out. And the next thing you know, 3,000 people are converted. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, this wasn't just a, you know, 24 hours later, they were meeting each other's homes. No, there was administration going on. There was uh, organization taking place. And over the first couple of weeks and a couple of months, the church is being put together. And this is what's going on. They're meeting in homes and they're meeting in the temple and they're breaking bread. They're committed to the teaching of the apostles. And the teachings of the apostles wasn't guessology. It wasn't opinions. It wasn't a contemporary analysis of of just life. What they were saying, they were teaching who Jesus Christ is and what he did at the cross about his resurrection, about his second coming. They were using the Old Testament scriptures. They were eyewitnesses of everything. People are saved now. They're overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. They've received the gift and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. They know they belong to God. They have a new heart. They're not following Moses anymore. They're following Jesus Christ. There's this genuine community love one for another that we see represented here. And it it, it sounds beautiful to a pastor, as I spoke before, uh, the the previous verses about Peter's message is, is the evangelist loves that. 
The evangelist just loves the power. And I love that power too. But as a pastor, this is what bleeds my heart. This kind of fellowship, this kind of community that the death and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit produces on this world. When you see great diversity and great unity and diversity, it brings glory to God because only God can do this. And this is what we're seeing. And one of the basic elements of this glad and generous and sincere hearts was they were partaking in the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper. And this is where I come in, and this is where I want to preach. All right? Because that means a lot to me. And and if unless we analyze it from a first century perspective, we will not grasp the magnitude of what's taking place in this text. We will not. We'll miss it. Because that's what human beings do. And human beings have a great propensity to celebrate something that's almost meaningless to them. Veterans Day went by, and we have to remind ourselves that Veterans Day is not a day off, that people died for our freedom. People have been wounded. Families have been disrupted. Veterans Day is not just a holiday to have a picnic or to do something. It is a time of reflection. It should be, but it's hard for us as human beings to reflect on something that was done in, you know, 50 or 60 years ago or, and, and, and to really hold its power. We have a great propensity just, just to move on and turn into something and turn something wonderful into a tradition. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the whole Jewish nations because they took the Passover and they took all the festivals and they took basically the revelation of God's law and they turned it into dead religion. It wasn't producing the praise and the fruit that God both desired and he deserves. Amen. Well, unfortunately, that propensity is still with us today because it's a human propensity. It wasn't a Jewish propensity. It's not an American thing. It's a human thing. And we can partake of the Lord's Supper in a way that's empty. That you hurt us. That I even said that. As a Christian who's spirit-born, the thought of taking the Lord's Supper in a community we believe is And it's empty and void of meaning and power and substance and void of the ability to change and transform our life is what I just was talking about. We have this propensity just to to partake and, and, and really miss the whole point. We know that the shed blood is the blood of the new covenant. The, the, the covenant of grace and the giving of the Holy Spirit. That's not about following new uh, uh, laws and regulations. It's about following the promptings of new religious affections that God has put in our heart as born again human beings now. There is a desire growing in a true believer to want to serve God. When I preach, I don't preach in a way that says you have to do something. I want to preach to the part of you that wants to serve God. If you're born again in you, you have to want to serve God. It's in you. It might be small. It might have grown cold. But the Holy Spirit's not passive. And he's certainly not dead. And he has not left you. He's the pledge, the seal, and the guarantee of our salvation. I heard a minister say, oh... When you fall into sexual sin, the Holy Spirit leaves. I said, oh, no, no, no. Because if he left, we'd never give up sexual sin. 
The reason we can move forward in the Christian life and overcome sin, overcome temptation, overcome failures is because the Holy Spirit never leaves us. Ever. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Doesn't go anywhere. He's, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But as we move forward, and with 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion, from what happened at the Lord's Supper, you know, we can be very, very unaware of a coldness that takes place in our heart. It is our job as Christians, in a community of faith, and as ministers, that that does not happen. That we stay on top of this, and that the Lord's Supper is what it's meant to be. It's sacred. It's sacred. There's no mystical, magical proportions to it. What makes the Lord's Supper is this. Jesus commanded it. Period. And what makes it real is not me just partaking, uh, participating. It's the reflection in my heart and my mind as I partake in a community of other believers. The Lord's Supper is not a personal thing. It's a community thing. And this church, 50 days later, 50 days after Luke 22, and 50 days after John 13, I'll get into those texts, they are living the high life of Christianity. They have all things in common. They're participating in prayer and the fellowship. They're breaking bread with glad, sincere, and generous heart. They're selling their possessions and giving to anybody who had needed. The Old Testament doesn't teach that. This is what the psalmist said. How sweet it is when the brethren dwell in unity together. It's happening right here. It's never happened to this quality ever, ever before. The Old Testament doesn't hold out a quality of brokenness and fellowship and love and generosity and sincerity as we just read. And I'll move forward into application right now. Every true church that faithfully preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ depends on him and him alone, the Holy Spirit, will taste this fruit. I've tasted it. It's sweet. And I want to hold on to it. As a minister, I want to hold on to it. This is community life. Church is not about just come together and hear, you know, I, I need a word in due season that's going to be for me. I need to hear those special three songs that are going to elevate me. No, we come to church because it's about him. It's about he. It's about they. It's about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we come for them, he does something to us. You're learning. You're learning. I don't want to ever, ever want to lose this. So I want you to think, 50 days before this community blessing we see, 50 days before this generous heart, 50 days before this selling everything for the common good of everybody. Listen, Jerusalem is turned upside down. It's turned upside down. Ordinary people following uneducated, unlearned men from Galilee preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is turning Jerusalem and the world upside down as never seen before. But 50 days earlier, they were fighting who was the greatest in the kingdom. 50 days before. Jesus, only hours 
before being portrayed by Judas, Satan has already entered into his heart. That's a dark moment for Christ. We don't, we don't think about that dark moment. We think about Judas. Well, Judas, he's a bum. Did you know that Jesus loved Judas, the son of perdition? He washed his feet. Knowing fully he was going to be betrayed. Other lessons, John, as he goes through the book of John, we'll speak about that, I'm sure. But we have this going on. Jesus is, he's given his basically last will and testimony. He's speaking to his disciples. He, he's loving those who God has given out of the world. And he's loved them to the end. He's loved them as his own. And there he is. It's the last supper. He's getting ready for to be the, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And his disciples, his closest friends, you're not servants, I call you friends, are bickering. About who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus has to tell them, listen, we don't do it the the way the world does it. The kingdom of God doesn't operate on the envy, suspicion, jealousy, uh, contempt, pride. uh, Who's better? Not a spirit of competition. That's the way the world does it. If, if you're in corporate America, if you're anywhere, if you're in a small club, anywhere you are, you have that sense of competition and performance and who's better. And, you know, that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Jesus had to rebuke him in a loving way. No, that's not the way. You, you're thinking, okay, but, but you're corrupted. You're still thinking like you're carnal. You're still thinking like people of the world. And it's into this scenario, this wisdom that James says is from below. It's a wisdom that's unspiritual, it's earthly. He actually says this kind of reasoning is demonic. James 3, it's demonic. That kind of, because wherever there's selfish, selfish ambition, you find every evil under the sun. And here we are in the upper room, the servant of servants, Jesus Christ, who though he 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 he, 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 how can I say it? Can I say it better than the way Paul says it? Though he, though he was God in the flesh, he did not grasp it, but he emptied himself and became a servant. We can't grasp the magnitude of that. And here he is, he's just about to give his life. The disciples are all fighting who's going to be the greatest. Shortly before this, the Apostle James and the Apostles John, guess what happened to them? The mother showed up. <laughs> Jesus, tell me, which, let my son sit on your left and let my other son sit on your right. You see, we don't see the human part of this. They know Messiah is around. They know something's good going around. He's feeding 15,000 people. He's walking on water. He's raising the dead. He's cleansing the leopard. He's opening up the eyes of the blind. The Messiah has come. The kingdom has come. Let's get in on the ground floor. Who's going to be the greatest here? Who's going to lord it over one another? Who's going to be known as Jesus' disciple? It's into this that John 13 says that Jesus, listening to this carnal reasoning, says, you want to know who's great? I'll show you who's great. And he takes off his robe. Only hours from being crucified. 
gets on his feet and does a menial task that some Jewish servants weren't allowed to do. They would actually get a Gentile slave to do it. And it's into this atmosphere, this carnal, who's better than who atmosphere, this carnal, I'm better than you inner attitudes that all human beings have. It's into this that the Son of God gets on his knees and he washes, yes, even Judas's. And he truly shows him what the kingdom of God is all about. It is not about power. It's not about prestige. It's not about prominence. It's not about position. It's about servanthood. It is about humble servanthood. Yes, you know rightly and rightly so that the greater is served by the lesser. But I'm here as the one who serves. And you, you rightly call me teacher and Lord. And the student is not greater than his Lord or his teacher. Meaning, you saw me do it. Blessed are you if you know these things and you do them. What a way to correct wrong behavior. What a way to correct misguidedness. What a way to correct ignorance. What a way to correct selfish ambition. Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? The hour has finally come. I'm being sold out by Judas. The Pharisees, the elders, and and, and the scribes are coming to take me. They're going to hand me over to to, to, uh, whatever his name is. They're going to crucify me on the cross. And you're over here bickering? No, he doesn't say that. He is a humble example of getting down on his knees. The most menial, almost demeaning of tasks. And he washes their feet. One by one by one by one by one by one by one. This is a process. They know their inner attitudes. Remember what Jesus says? You will understand later or after. That's our Christian life. Our whole Christian life is new revelation in our heart of how arrogant we are of how prideful we are, or how competitive we are, and how unserving we are. It is. So as we push fast forward 50 days later, all of a sudden, they're recognizing this whole thing. Christ has been raised from the dead. The Spirit of God is being poured out. No more will they, will they, will they uh, honor the Passover as Moses have taught it because Jesus is the Pascal lamb now. It's a new Passover. So they're breaking the be- bread, not according to Old Testament customs. For the first time, they're not bringing a sacrifice. Christ is the sacrifice. 
These are devout Jews from all over the known world had come together, and now they're celebrating with glad and sincere hearts. They never experienced that at the Passover at the temple. Religion was dead in their hearts. And now here they are, and guess what the apostles are doing? They're teaching them. And this is the point I don't want to miss. Let's not think for a moment that they did not consistently, day by day, think about the night they thought they were better than everybody else. And Christ died for them and washed their feet. That left an impression on them. Please, whatever you do, don't think that 50 days later they forgot about the upper room discourse. They, they forgot about Jesus getting on his feet, hands and knees and washing their feet. Don't ever think that for a moment they were, oh, who's going to be the greatest? Peter had to relive over and over and over again that he stood up in front of everybody and said, everybody will deny you but me. I'll never, I'll even die with you. He had to live with his own arrogance. It's a humbling thing when we take a look at our, in our heart. You can rest assured that somewhere in there, in those formidable few months or few years when they were partaking of the bread, when they, when they were breaking the bread in memory of that night, it's a memory of the night he was betrayed. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us. In the night when Jesus was betrayed, Paul says, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body I do it unto you. Every time the apostles would break the bread and remember that night, they were not forgetting how prideful, arrogant, and what they thought of themselves. Not one moment. The more and longer I am a Christian, the more I realize what Christ has forgiven me. Those who are forgiven much, love much. And as we continue in our Christian life and our pilgrimage am I wrong with this? am I the only one I, I wake up and say God how awesome are you? I, I'm really realizing how arrogant of a man I am or you're changing I remember how I was 5 years ago I'm a Christian 25 years but after 5 days I was still the same man after 5 years I, God was just starting to work on my heart are you with me? Oh man, I thought I was somebody. I was, man, give me the Bible, I'll preach, I'll quote 3,000 scriptures. I'm better than everybody. I wouldn't have told you that. But I thought it. It's in our hearts. Luke 22 is not a disciple problem. Luke 22 is a human problem. And we all have the cooties. We've all been infected by Adam. We really could think we're better than each other. The Passover, the Lord's Supper here, has two components. Three, maybe. First of all, it's a recognition that the new covenant has come. And that the new covenant was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the new covenant, the covenant that came through Moses, came with the shedding of blood and the sprinkling of blood. The new covenant also came with blood, but it wasn't the blood of a bull. It was the blood of the blood of the Lamb of God. And we're sprinkled with that blood, as the book of Hebrews says. And that, that inaugurates the, the new covenant with better promises. 
And as we participate, it's a constant reminder of who Christ is. But it's also a reminder that it's community, participation. And though I can't participate in the saving work of Christ, are you with me? I can participate in the sanctifying work of Christ by loving other Christians. There's a big difference. I can never do anything in your life for your sins. Only Christ. But when it comes for me and you changing into the image of Christ, that we can participate in. Go and wash each other's feet. Humble service for one another. Don't lord it around of who's better, who's doing more, who's got the gifts, who's getting the applause, who's doing more work, who's doing less work. It is not about any of that. We come focused on service for the Lord. That is it. We leave everything else up to God. It might look like some people are getting more praise, more accolades of men. It might look that way. But God knows that the last one day will be first. And the first will be last. Because the kingdom of God is upside down. There are men, there are women that do great exploits for God. But their heart isn't broken in humility. I'm not saying that about everybody. Then there are some, you say, they're so gifted, they're so in love. But God doesn't bless the work that much. Don't you worry. God knows how to reward his people. And I can tell you right now. As Peter says, Lord, we left house and farms and families for your sake. And Jesus said, oh, if you leave house, farms, and families for my sake, you'll be rewarded not just in this world, but in the next world. That's where our reward is. For us, it's childlike servanthood. Who is the greatest? Take a child, put him in your midst. He who becomes and converts as a child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. The world doesn't operate that way. But we can take the the mindset of the world of which we've been operating on since we came to, before we came to Christ. And we come to Christ and we think that's what makes it all work. And all of a sudden you got a church, and this is strictly for any church, but if it's for our church, and, and, and what happens, we can bring competitive attitudes. We can bring who's better, who's doing more, who's doing this, and, we, and it weighs in, and we don't realize it, that it can hurt. These inner attitudes can hurt our relationships and we can't do that we're going to take the body and the blood we're going to participate participation in the body and the blood is not a proclamation that we're perfect it's not a declaration that we qualify it's a confession that we still need Christ in our life as our Savior and our Sanctifier. It is not we have arrived. It's a constant confession that I still need you, Jesus. And in all my interpersonal relationships, I still need you. When it comes to the tension of friendship, when it comes to the tension of brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have them, every church has them, everybody has them. Husbands and wives have them. Children and parents have them. It's there. We live in a fallen world. We have many idiosyncrasies. We, we look at life a little different. We have different backgrounds. Many of us wear in different pains since our childhood. And, and we bring it all together into the test tube of the Christian church. 
And God shakes together. And he brings all our personalities into the test tube. And he shakes it. And he pours a little more grace in. And he shakes it a little more. He pours more mercy in. And he shakes it a little more. And we all come out saying, we, t- we partake of the bread with sincere, glad, and generous hearts. Because no one's better than anybody else. So as we partake, and we're going to do, I'm going to ask Kim to come up. And, and she'll lead us in a little worship. Let it be a time of reflection. Let the sermon really sink into our heart that when we participate, not just today, but every time, let's preach the gospel to ourselves. Yes, we're not perfect, but Christ is, and he's accepted each and every one of us. And when we come together and we partake, we're confessing that, Jesus, I still need you more today than when I first believed. Can you say that with me? Can we stand up for a moment? Father, I just thank you for these elements. I thank you for the broken body and the shed blood that alone has the power to crush human pride. No one's better than anybody, God. Only God is great. So, Lord, I pray that deliver us from inattentions. Free us from lovelessness. Free us from selfishness. Free us, Father God, from conceit and pride. And free us of that most unwanted ambition of jealousy and covetedness, Father. God, let us know the freedom that was in Jesus. Just to serve each other. Because Jesus knew where he, was, where he came from and where he was going. He came from the Father. He's going back from the Father. And Lord, we finally know that we're your children. That's where the power of humility comes from. It comes from you, Lord. Our origin and our destiny are wrapped up in you. So God, I ask you to bless our hearts here at Sonship Ministries today. As we participate, Father God, let us always be reminded of that crushing, loving humility of our Savior and the sanctifier of our souls. In Jesus' name.